Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And turn with me to the Gospel Record of Mark. The Gospel Record of Mark and chapter number 15. The Gospel Record of Mark in chapter number 15. We are at the very tail end of our messages dealing with the Gospel Record of Mark. And we've come to the climax. We've come to where everything has led to the cross of Calvary. Jesus Christ has already spent time saying goodbye to his disciples and giving them the instructions to carry on without him. He's observed the Last Supper with them to give them a pattern for us to follow as well. He has prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and spent some time. He was immediately arrested, put on a false trial, sentenced to death, sent to Pilate, and all of this before 8 o'clock in the morning. And now we come to where Jesus Christ has been heading to all of his earthly life. The cross of Calvary. This wasn't an accident. This wasn't a conspiracy. Jesus knew he was always heading to the cross. Notice with me, if you don't mind, as we pick up this account in the Gospel record of Mark, chapter 15. The Gospel record of Mark, chapter 15, and notice with me in verse number 15. The Gospel record of Mark, chapter 15, and verse 15. So, and so Pilate... Willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away into the hall called the Praetorium. And there they called together the whole band. And they clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head and began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him on the head with a reed, and did spit upon him, and bowing their knees, worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him, and put on his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. And they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by, coming from out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross." And they bring him to the place, Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of the skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon him of what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. And with him they crucify two thieves. And one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him. Wagging their heads and saying, Oh, thou that destroy the temple, and build it in three days. Save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priest, mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others. Himself, 
he cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let it alone. Let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And with this, we see here the account, this horrible account of the death of the cross. The death of the cross. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come and go through this account here, and we understand the nature of this, this horrible nature of what you suffered for us, that we would understand it, that we would see what occurred, and that you, Lord, could draw us close to you. If there's someone in here that has never had forgiveness of sins because of what Jesus did on the cross, I'm asking that this would hit them personally and clearly and let them put away any excuses and be glad to accept you and what you did for us. For those of us who did know you as Savior, I'm asking that you would make it real to us to realize what love it took for you to die on the cross on our behalf. Lord, make this powerful, draw us close to you because of this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we go through this account here of the death of Jesus upon the cross, one of the things that I want to do for you is to explain medically what occurred while Jesus was, Jesus was on the cross. Now, sometimes we take things in black and white, we could read through this quickly, and we could get a little bit of sympathy for Jesus, or we could get just a little bit of semblance of how this was. But when you go through medically what happened to Jesus, you understand that Jesus bore our sins in his body. As we start to medically understand what is going on during this time, it makes it even more real. That this isn't just a story, it's not a fairy tale. And again, some, we know that, but again, we feel like it is. It's just some story out there. We treat it like, it's an important story, it's the most important story ever, but it's just that a story. But we understand that someone in a body, we know it was Christ, robed in flesh, but he had the same flesh, his body functioned the same way that yours and I did. This is what went on medically. And at the end, we'll give the official diagnosis of his death based off of the evidence of the scripture. But this is going to be something that we need to understand. Now, let me also point out that it is powerful and it is graphic. There's not a single Hollywood movie that ever could portray how awful the death of Jesus Christ was. There is no way a Hollywood special effects could get across exactly what happened. It's that, that horrible of what would happen. 
First of all, as we go through, I'm going to highlight the medical parts as we go through here. But we have to start from where it began medically for him. And he started with sweating great drops of blood. He began to sweat great drops of blood. Now, officially, what is going on medically is a, some, uh, an affection, or not an infection, an effect called a heterodrosis. Uh, hemotras- ah, my spelling is not working today. Hematidrosis, H-E-M-A-T-I-D-R-O-S-I-S. Now, what is happening here in this (laughs) physiologically is that Jesus Christ is praying so fervently. He's praying so heatedly. He's praying so passionately that the capillaries within his skin are bursting. And again, even though it's a cool night, because he's so passionate and he's so heated that he's beginning to sweat. And so the capillary blood began to mix in with the uh, sweat and it began to pour around him. He was literally sweating blood as he was praying. Now, this, <clears throat> what had happened to cause this is that this anxiety, this passion caused chemicals We know that we have glands in our bodies that produce biochemicals. These biochemicals came out and they're the ones that burst the capillaries into the sweat glands. Now, the effect of this is it would cause the skin to be very fragile, very easy to tear. Maybe you've seen uh, an older person that even tape tears their skin. This is kind of the effect that this uh, sweating drops of blood and the capillaries begin to burst, begin to have an effect as it made its skin easier to tear now this is even before he was arrested he knows what's going to happen he knows what's going to occur he knows why he's going to the cross in fact that's why he's praying lord not my will but thine he's praying and he understands he what he's going to suffer jesus was not caught by surprise he knew exactly what he was going to go through he knew physiologically what he was going to go through physically what he was going to go through And he chose to do it anyways. Because this was the Lord's will. This was the only way to provide salvation for us. This is the love that he had for us. And it started with that praying. That praying. And of course his disciples fell asleep. They abandoned. They didn't understand how important this prayer time was. Now. (laughs) During the time of sweating. And uh, losing blood. He started to become dehydrated. He didn't get a chance to get anything to drink because they immediately uh, whisked him away to a false trial. And there he was accused and put on false trial until they finally sentenced him to be guilty. And then, because the Hebrew people didn't have the authority to carry out a death sentence, they had to carry him to Pilate. Pilate was the Roman governor, and it was the Roman government that had the authority to put someone to death. And so they brought him before Pilate. And of course, as we described last time, that Jesus was placed before the crowd. And they had the choice of Barabbas, a murderer, someone who was uh, trying to overthrow the Roman government, or Jesus himself. And the people, because of the chief priests stirring up the mob, had chosen Barabbas. Now, Pilate, because he was attempting to save Jesus' life, figured that if he showed them some blood, that he could go ahead and release Jesus. And so the second medical event that occurs is the scourging, is the scourging. 
Now, a scourge is a braided handmade whip that had nine straps that is often called a cat of nine tails. At the end of the straps would be metal balls or bones or hooks that was made to catch the flesh and to tear it as it happened, uh, causing it to be exposed. So they would take up this cat of nine tails. They would whip it across the back. It would catch into the victim and tear it open. The first century historian Josephus said that after one lash, you could actually take your finger and touch the bone of the victim. The third uh, century historian Eusebius said, the sufferer's veins were laid bare. And the very muscles, sinews, and bowels of the victim were open to exposure. And they took Jesus and they beat him. And they beat him. Now there's a Hebrew law that says that there was only a certain number of lashes that uh, a Hebrew person could take under the Hebrew law. But may I remind you that he was not beaten by Hebrew people. He was beaten by Roman people who had no such law. And they took that cat of nine tails that would rip up his back. Now remember, his, his skin is already fragile, easy to tear. It would go into the muscle and rip it open until his back looked like hamburger meat with no exaggeration. It was cut up, lacerated, bleeding, exposed, that muscle sticking out. You could see the insides. You could see the bones. You could see the organs. And it was all exposed. Now what is happening here is that the victim would experience tremendous pain and a medical condition called hypovolemic shock. Hypo means low, vo means volume, and emic means blood. So hypovolemic shock means that he is actually running low in fluids, running low in, um, in um, blood and so it's setting his body into like an emergency type thing because he doesn't have enough blood to function, to keep going on. The loss of blood in large amounts does four things. The heart now begins to race and try to pump blood that isn't there. It's trying to get what blood it can to the rest of the body. A second thing that happens is the blood pressure drops causing fainting or collapse, meaning that <laughs> the body can't get enough blood into the brain to keep it functioning and it makes it easy to collapse a third thing is the kidneys stop producing urine just to maintain what volume they have left so instead of filtering the blood it's just allowing the blood to pass so therefore the chemicals in the body are not being uh, secreted out but it's trying to keep what it does have on it but the person fourthly becomes quite thirsty as the body begins to crave fluids to replace the blood. Now, some people said that some of the worst ways to die is to die of thirst. Because it goes in several stages. That first of all, your mouth begins to dry. And you have a hard time moving things. As it begins to dry a little bit more, your tongue actually begins to dry out. And it begins to stick in your mouth. A little bit later, the tongue begins to swell and almost sticks to the roof of your mouth and the side, making it hard to speak. And those are just some of the signs in the mouth of the dehydration that is occurring. Now, again, I know this is medical and I'm going through things, but this is important to be able to see what he is going through. This is a person, Jesus Christ, robed in the flesh, who is bearing our sins in his body. 
and to understand what is going on. They put Jesus Christ. Notice as we go back to the text here in verse number 15. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. Now, what they did is they put a a coat around Jesus and they allowed the blood to soak into that garment. Then Pilate presented him before the people again. And the idea was is that they could see the bloody mess. Now, they didn't see all the wounds and stuff, but they could see that he's bleeding. It's soaking into the garment. It's leaking into it. In fact, the gospel records put together, you could see that three times they put a garment over him, and they're each different colors. This one is a white garment, and you could see the blood begin to soak into that white garment. And his idea was that he could hold it to the people. And most people would be reviled when they would see such a bloody mess. It would be hard to look at a mangled person. And he was hoping that the people would see him and say, Oh, that's enough. I don't want him to suffer anymore. No, please don't put him through anything else. But instead, the chief priest still stirred up the crowd. And even after that, they said, crucify him. Why is this a big deal? Because people who were sentenced to the cross did not go through the scourging. Those are two different punishments. Some people would die of scourging. Some could live past it, but they would always have wounds for the rest of their life. But Jesus, because of the hatred of the people and because of what was required for our sins to be paid for, was both scourged and then crucified. The Bible talks about in Isaiah 52 that no man suffered like this. No one in history went through all of the events that Jesus went through. And I'm just getting started. After the people said crucify him again. What they did. Is they took that coat off. Reopening those wounds. Once again. Exposing it and causing him to bleed even more. Notice as we pick this back up. So now he delivered Jesus to be crucified. Notice verse 16. And the soldiers led him away to the hall called the Praetorium. And they called together the whole band. Meaning they called all the soldiers together. So what happened is that they're going to crucify him. Let's go ahead and pick on the Jewish man. And so they gathered them together. And they clothed him with purple. So they took off the original robe. Now they put on a purple robe. Purple robe signified royalty. And what they're doing is they're mocking Jesus because Jesus has been sentenced to death because he called himself to be king of the Jews. He's the son of God. And so the Romans who did not believe the Hebrew God, they believed in many other gods, they decided they're going to have fun. It's not every day that you could get a God in your own custody. And so let's have fun with them. Notice what they did. Verse 17. They clothed him with purple And plaited a crown of thorns and put about his head. Now, this crown of thorns here was not like little stickers that you get stuck in. That's what we call them in the south. Those little little balls with uh, the spikes on it and stuff. This was huge spikes like this. And they took it and they beat it on his head. Driving these big spikes into his head. He's already bloodied and battered. Now his head is bleeding. In verse 18, they begin to salute him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! 
So they mocked him. They put him in this purple robe. And they said, oh, look, he's got a crown. This is the Jewish king. And they would all laugh at him because the Romans had no love for the Hebrew people. They thought they were backwater people. And they were stuck in the garrison out in the middle of nowhere dealing with these hillbilly folks. And they said, ah, here's the king of those Jews making fun of him. Embarrassing and humiliating him. Verse 19. They smote him on the head with a reed. Now this is like a big thick rod. Almost like a switch type thing. And so if you could imagine a switch. Instead of uh, getting used on your backside. To get hit on your head. They're like we're crowning you. We're showing you our king. And they're mocking him this whole time. And then notice what they did. Verse number um, 19. And they smote him in the head with a reed and did spit upon him. So now they begin to spit upon the king of the Jews. And then they had others that bowed down their knees and worshipped him. Now this is not true worship. They're mocking him. Oh, he's the king. He's God. Oh, great God. Look at you. How great of a God you are. Humiliating the king of kings, the true God of creation. Verse 20. And when they had mocked him. They put off the purple robe from him. Now remember, he's still bleeding. He's never been bandaged. That blood is soaked into this cloth as well. And so when they open it up, he begins to bleed afresh and renew once again as they peel off. Now this blood is actually sticking to his body. And so they had to peel it off, tearing everything open again. And they put on his own clothes to... Uh, to lead him out to crucify him. And they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by out of a coming country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Now, can you imagine this guy? Jesus is going because of the hypovolemic shock. Most people who are going to the cross would have enough strength to carry it. That was part of their punishment. But because he's already losing so much blood and so much strength that he's barely standing awake as it is, much less carrying a heavy cross. So they had to compel some other guy to carry it. And by this testimony, he became someone who came to know Christ as his Savior and was known. I meant, wouldn't you get saved if you were the person that was put to pill this cross? Wouldn't you want to know everything about this person that you had to carry the cross for? Wouldn't you want to study everything about his life? And according to tradition and kind of what the Bible indicates, he got saved and became one of the leaders. Uh, that's why Mark, when he's writing this, he's saying, hey, let me tell you, this is uh, the daddy of Alexander Rufus. Uh, that was him who carried this. He was making reference to people that the audience would know about as he's writing this. And they bring him to the place of Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of the skull. And then they begin to crucify him. So we start off with the first medical event of him sweating great drops of blood. The second great medical event would be the scourging. Now we come to this third medical event. The cross. The cross. Now what the Romans would do. Is that they would use spikes about five to seven inches long. And so they look like railroad ties. And then what they did is they driven them through what the Bible says, the hands. Now, back in the Roman days, the wrist was considered part of the hands. You couldn't nail someone up in the palm of their hand because you have so many little bones here. What would happen is if it to support your weight, it actually would tear 
all of uh, your hand bones out and it wouldn't keep you on the cross. So the only way to have enough stability to nail someone to the cross would be to nail them through the wrist. And so if you can imagine a big spike, a railroad tie type spike to be driven through the muscles in your wrist. Now inside of your wrist is what is called the median nerve. This is the same nerve that runs through your elbow here that when you hit it just right we call it our funny bone even though it's not that funny it's one of the most sensitive nerves in all the body and so when they took that spike and begin to drive it in as it would hit that nerve it would feel like they grabbed that nerve raw with a pair of pliers and twisted it would put that tingling sensation all throughout the arm and just make that whole side of the body just tingle as if you just had hit your elbow just that that electrical side inside of your body just uh, <laughs> aggravating you. This pain of putting someone up on the cross and running through the nerve was so unbearable that they had to come up with a brand new word to describe the pain that someone would go through. And the word that was invented was called excruciating. The word excruciating literally means out of the cross. The pain of the cross. Was so bad. They had to invent. A brand new word to describe. The pain that was suffered from it. They would nail. Both of his wrist. And then what would happen. Is they would nail his feet. And they placed the cross. Upon the ground. His arms would begin. To be stretched out. Sometimes between one to six inches in length as it would pull the bone out of its socket. Both of the shoulders would become dislocated and you would hang there. It was a horrible way to go. Notice what happens as they put him up on the cross and in verse number 22. And they bring him to the place Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of the skull. And when they gave him to drink, wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. So that when someone was put up on the cross, they had no clothes on. They were exposed to the world. Now, Jesus, because he was a teacher, he would wear a special outfit. And the Bible talks about this, even predicting it in the Old Testament and showing it in the New. It makes a big emphasis on his clothes. But he would wear a type of clothes that just looking at him would demand respect and show him as a teacher. He, it was just recognizable. He had a special garment that was made without seams, which is a, an amazing feat, especially back then. And so they didn't want to part it, so they gambled with it. And so Jesus is watching these shoulder, shoulder, uh, soldiers gamble his personal property while he's dying for their sins. He's observing this to happen. And it was the third hour. And they crucified him. Now this is significant here. Because the Hebrew day began at 6 o'clock in the morning. And then you would have 7 o'clock. That's the first hour. 8 o'clock that would be the second hour. The third hour of the day would be 9 o'clock. So all of this has happened. And it's now 9 a.m. When he's up on the cross. And the superscription of his accusation was written over. The king of. Of the Jews. Now, normally, what would happen up on the cross of 
cross. When a criminal was put up there, they would nail a sheet of paper that would list the accusations of why the person was put up on the cross. And they would nail it with him. But for Jesus, instead of nailing the sins, his accusations, they put a big placard over it to say, well, this is why he died, the king of the Jews. So everyone walking by could see his crime. Why did he die? Because he's the king of the Jews. He's the son of God. And with him, they crucified two thieves and one in his right hand and one in the left. And the scripture was fulfilled saying that he was numbered with the transgressors. The Bible gives this Old Testament prophecy that he is actually going to be put on the cross. And he's going to be put next to people who were sinners themselves as if he was a common. So he's not by himself. He's mixed in and put with a crowd that everyone just looking and says, oh, look at all those sinners there. Verse 29. And while they passed, they that passed railed on him. That means they mocked him. Wagging their heads saying, ah, that that destroys the temple and buildest in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. So these people are coming and they're wagging their heads and they're mocking him. Come on, I thought you were God. Why don't you come down? The reason why he didn't come down was because of love. You know, he never stopped being God. He could have stepped down at any time. Those nails did not keep him to the cross. Love did. And even while those people are mocking him, he is dying for those people who mocked. Love kept him up there. He could have stepped off the cross and he still would have been God. But we would have been sentenced to hell. Because we would have had to pay for our own price. Jesus paid it. He loved us that much. He willingly endured everything thus far. Because he loved us. You think of that. Someone to die for that. It's one thing to see someone in a bad accident. It's another thing to see someone like this who died for me. So I wouldn't have to. What a horrible death. Notice what it continues to go on. Verse number 32. Or 31. Likewise also the chief priests mocked. And said among themselves of the scribes. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Lest the Christ. The king of Israel descend now from the cross. And that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified railed with him. So the chief priest said, oh, come on. You claim to be God. Make us believers. Step down. Imagine all these people telling Jesus to step down. It's true proof that we don't know what we're asking for a lot of times. Come on, prove you. We'll believe you if you step down. Sure, they would believe him, but they would still die and go to hell. Then it said that the thieves beside him railed on him. Both things. Thieves started off making fun of Jesus. Praise the Lord. One of them changed his mind. But they both started making. They're dying on the cross too. And they're saying look at this guy. We're dying because we're thieves. What did you do? You're the son of God. And they began to laugh at him. Jesus was mocked from all sides. He couldn't get away from it. He couldn't run. He couldn't go back to mom's. He couldn't go home. He endured that humiliation. Of his creation. He made these people. And they're mocking him. Notice as it goes on. Verse 33. And when the sixth hour was come. Now remember we talked about the Hebrews day started at six. That the ninth or the third hour would be nine o'clock in the morning. 
the sixth hour would be straight at noon. Notice what happens at noon. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So this is not an eclipse, but between noon to three, there is so thick of a darkness. It's the same type of darkness that Moses had experienced when God was sending judgment upon the plagues of Egypt. It's a type of eerie darkness that you can't even see your hand in front of you. And darkness went through the land. It scared a lot of people. They're like, what just happened here? And they're trying to stumble around with what they can for three hours. Now, if you know anything about eclipses, eclipses don't last three hours. Three hours of darkness, supernatural, eerie darkness has hit. Why? Because part of what Jesus is doing is he's suffering our hell. Not only is hell a place of suffering and shame, it's a place of darkness. When you study the cross of Calvary and you study hell, you see that Jesus suffered our hell, our penalty of what we deserved. And part of that was darkness, a supernatural darkness. Verse 34, and in the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabbatagani, which being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now we're coming to the end. We've covered some of the medical highlights so far. Started with sweating great drops of blood. We went through the scourging. We went to the cross. Now we come to the cause of death. What was it medically that caused someone to die? Normally up on the cross, a person died of asphyxiation. Asphyxiation. The body would be in a position that as it hung, it would not be able to excel. So when someone was up on the cross, their arms are stretched out. Their body cavity would be bent over and you wouldn't be able to draw a deep breath. And so what happens is that you kind of recycling what air you have into you, which is allowing more of the carbon dioxide to continue to go into your system. And so in order to take a deep breath, you would have to lift up on the wrist where the the, uh, spikes are at and lift yourself up, open up your chest cavity, take a deep breath, and then you would immediately slump down. Now, the cross of Calvary was not smooth, sanded wood. It looked like one of those big railroad things. If you've been to a railroad uh, and you see the big beams in the middle of it, it would be rough wood like that with splinters and spikes in it. And remember that Jesus' back is all exposed and looked like hamburger meat. And so to take one breath, he would lift up his arms and straighten up. And it would drive the wood into those wounds into his back. While he did that, the spike would spin on his wrist and turn. And it would actually carve that bone and grind against it. Once again, twisting that median nerve. And just to take a breath was excruciating pain. Because it would hear the grinding and feel the grinding of the bone. To feel the, the, the sting, the electrical shock. And then what would happen had those spikes go into the body... Just to take one breath was excruciating. So eventually, 
a person would die of asphyxiation where they didn't have the strength to do it no more. Now a person, remember, they normally was not scourged before going to the cross. A normal person being sentenced to the cross, it would take them three days to die. Because it would, the very first couple hours, you still had enough strength to go up and down. It would hurt. But after three days, you lost enough strength. But for Jesus, he's already been going through medical events. Hypovolemic shock. He's been losing blood. His heart has been pumping, trying to get what blood he has. The more that the heart pumps, the more blood that comes out of him. He's already thirsty. Every pain he has. Now, as a person slows down their breathing, they go into something called respiratory acidosis. That the carbon dioxide in the blood is dissolved into carbonic acid. This carbonic acid puts off a thing inside of the heartbeat to cause an irregular beat. So instead of the normal beat, it would now start to beat irregularly, not beating the way that it should. Now, meanwhile, the hypovolemic shock would have sustained a rapid heartbeat. And now, because of this, his heart's been beating rough all day. It's just beating more and more. Now, around your heart, you have a membrane that surrounds it. <coughs> it's, <clears throat> and it's made, it's a smooth muscle, and it's made so that way, normally, it reduces friction. It, it puts more fluid when your heart's beating hard. It fills just a little bit up to have more, uh, uh, to reduce friction so your heart can continue to beat. But what's happening, because his heart's beating so much and he's losing fluid, that more fluid is going around that periocardial sac that's actually squeezing more on the heart. So his heart's trying to beat hard and now it's got pressure and it's making it so it can't beat hard, but now it has to beat harder. It has to work harder in order to get to it. Until finally the collection of fluid surrounded the periocardial membrane and surrounded it so much that it finally could not beat anymore. We know that this is medically happening and we see the evidence of it when they take the spear and they put it to his side and the Bible is very specific by saying water first and blood came out. We see that periocardial fluid leak out first, followed by the blood of the heart. What is the official diagnosis, the death of Jesus Christ in his human body? It's called a periocardial infusion. May we say it this way? Jesus died of a broken heart. Now, medically, this is horrible. Medically, this event, no one suffered like this. But that wasn't the worst thing about the cross. That wasn't the worst thing that happened to Jesus. All of that was awful, but that wasn't the worst. What was the worst thing that happened on the cross? Notice with me in verse 34. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Illinois, Illinois, Laba Shamathani, which being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Of course, this is a quote from Psalm 22, which shows a thousand years before what Jesus was going through emotionally on the cross. It's amazing that Psalm 22, a thousand years, was able to say what was happening on the cross from Jesus' point of view. It's amazing. But Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The worst thing about sin is that it separates us from God. And in that moment in time, that point action in time, 
God turned his back on his own son. You say, but I thought Jesus and God are the same. They are. How does that work? Not a clue. But we know that Jesus suffered our hell. And the worst part of hell is to be separated from God forever. Jesus, in order to suffer our penalty, had to suffer that same thing on the cross. And that point, action in time, that one moment, the Father turned His back on the Son. Jesus suffered our hell. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now we know that Jesus didn't stay dead on the third day. He rose again. And we'll cover that next Sunday morning. But the death is what was required to pay for our sins. This is what you deserve. The death that Jesus died on the cross is what you owe God for one little lie. And you and I have done more than one little lie. The death that Jesus died is what you owe God for disobeying your folks once. And we've done more than disobey our folks once. This is the death that we owe God for the penalty of sin. But the good news is that we don't have to because Jesus died in our place. Jesus never did anything wrong. He never sinned. He never did anything against us. He was perfect. The perfect Son of God. But He chose. He volunteered. Imagine that. To know this death here. And He volunteered to take it. He wasn't horn swoggled. He didn't have His arm twisted. He wasn't backed in a corner. He volunteered to take that death. Knowing everything about it. Why would someone do such a thing? For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him. Should not perish. But have everlasting life. What we see in the cross of Calvary. This horrible event. The most horrible thing that ever happened. Turned to be the greatest thing that ever happened. It proved God's love for us. Think about this. That God up in heaven could say, I love you. I love you. But remember, love always produces actions. God could say, I love you. And we down on earth can say, okay, you say that. How do we know that? God says, let me prove it then. He proved it by dying on the cross for us. That was his proof that he loved us. The Bible says, and while we were yet sinners... God died for us. The beginning part of that verse, it says, For God commended or proved His love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, He died for us. How do I know Jesus loves me? He died on the cross for me. He came to give me this gift, full, free, and forever. And all I have to do is receive that gift. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the penalty I owed him. He died on the cross for me. Now, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, let me tell you that this God loves you that much. And that if you are the only person on the world, he still would have died for you. He loves you. 
And that all you have to do is receive this gift. You don't have to go give money to the church. You don't have to pay, help little ladies. You don't have to pay money to the church. The Bible says it is the gift of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He gave it to us as a free gift. All you have to do is receive it, take it, make it yours. But for those of you who accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, may I remind you that He loved you this much. And if He loved us this much, it should be nothing for us to give Him, give him our best. Because He proved His love towards us. We're just responding to His love. It's no wonder the Bible talks about in the book of 1 John that His commandments are not grievous. He died on the cross for me. How can I tell him I don't have time to read my Bible? He died on the cross for me. How can I not live like a believer? Live like he's real. One of the horrible things that happens is that us Christians live our everyday life as if he didn't do anything for us. When he did everything for us. The death of Jesus on the cross. When we go to the cross of Jesus, it shouldn't be an old story. It shouldn't be something, oh, another story about Jesus. But instead, it should drive us closer to Him and just say, thank you, Lord, for you dying for me. Thank you for what you've done for me. Help me to be a good servant for you because you've done so much for me. Now, this isn't trying to get pity. This is showing the love of God. What a great God that we have. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.